Philippians, get my sound on here. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to remain standing just for the reading of one verse in Philippians. And then we're going to be looking in Hebrews 11. So we'll read the one verse in Philippians. We'll pray together while we're praying. We'll ask the Lord to guide our minds. I'm going to ask God to guide my mind in giving you what you need tonight. I hope that you'll join me in that and you guiding, asking God to guide your mind and getting what you need tonight, making it profitable to be in the house of the Lord. We each have our part. Mine is to be ready, prepared, and to guide you. Your part is to be ready to receive. And so we'll do that in just a minute. Philippians chapter 4. Let me get there with you. I have... That's my mark in another place. Philippians chapter 4. And I want to look at one, one verse in Philippians 4. And uh, that is verse 12. Can we read that together, please? Let's begin to read in unison. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Let's continue through verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And uh, he gives us the ability to do all those things. Let's pray together. All right, Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for the good singing, enjoyable time, the pleasant time and instructive we had in the teachers' meeting. And now here's the congregation. Help us, Lord, to be receptive to your word. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe seated, please, if you would. And while you are being seated, we want to get Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we'll be next. And uh, this evening, I want to speak to you on the subject of instructions for abounding. Instructions for abounding. Philippians 4.12 said, I have learned how to be a base. I've learned how to abound and how to be a base. And they said that he had been instructed in that. He had learned it. And I want to, tonight, biblically, I want us to look at abounding and some of the Bible instruction for when we abound. Um, God's people sometimes are abased. To be abased means to be brought low, brought into a time of need, brought into a time of uh, stress or distress at, at some point or another. Hebrews 11 deals with some people that were abased. Look down, if you will, Hebrews 11, verse 35. It's going to be a little different because I'm going to go later in the chapter and then earlier, but to show you this. Sometimes God's people are abased. Verse 35 starts with an abounding one, but then immediately goes into a group of people that follow the little phrase that says, and others. And once we go past that phrase, and others you're going to read about some people who were abased, who were taken to places, I'm sure, in many of their lives that they had never thought they would end up. And so let's look at it. Verse 35. By the way, Hebrews 11 is a chapter about what? Faith. Faith. And uh, these folks, all these people mentioned in Hebrews 11, were very pleasing to their God. They had a purpose in, in their lives, what was going on. Hebrews 11.35, it says, Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. In other words, they would not renounce Christ to avoid the torture. Verse 36, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder, which is just exactly what it sounds like. It was one way in which they were killed. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. 
In other words, them and us now and those who are mentioned earlier in that chapter are all a continuation of God's purpose and plan. And He uses different vessels for different things. And, uh, and so these people were abased. Uh, they specifically they died in faith and they pleased God. But their life was accented by or emphasized by being abased. Now, were they abased throughout their whole life? We don't know that. But at some point, or some points, or for some duration, they went through these things that had them abased. Let me say to you also, sometimes God's people abound. And uh, look there in Hebrews 11 again, but look back to verse 32. In verse 32, and it says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Think about that. Wrought righteousness. Obtained promises. Stopped in the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And then, of course, beginning in 35, women received their dead, raised to life. And so here in Hebrews 11, you have some believers who abounded. I mean, kingdom-changing things going on. And you had some believers who were abased, who had the most uh, difficult of circumstances. And it says, as a summary at the end, these all died in faith. They were true to their God. They, they did as they ought to do. And God was pleased with them. Each one had a different thing they were doing and a different way that their life was used. Not everybody is a Job. But Job was a man and God used him to teach not just that time, but generations and eons to come. And so God has a purpose. Sometimes God's people abound. And uh, let me say to you also in this, it's common even to be expected that a person will sometimes have both of these in their life at different times. Sometimes they follow rapidly one on the other. Think about Joseph in the Bible. Think about that. Think about him being there and being a slave. Think about him being lied about by a wicked woman and his situation made worse because of it. Think about him being totally forgotten for two years. Someone said, hey, I'll remember you. Two years. Just totally forgotten. As far as he knew, he was going to be forgotten indefinitely. He didn't know what was going on outside there. And then that fast, in one day, he was pulled out of that prison situation and they had him in a chariot riding down the streets of, of uh, Egypt and everybody having to bow the knee to him. You talk about a, <laughs> a rapid change. One to the other. Think about Brother Job. One of the wealthiest men of his day and time and a wise man and one who tried to follow God. And many children and, and great possessions. And in one day, one day, I can't even hardly imagine it, one day, uh, loss of all that was dear to him. And what happened with him? It says in all this, Job uh, charged not God foolishly, nor did he sin with his mouth. What did he do? He was abased. He was abounded, then he was abased. Think about Daniel. Daniel went from being a slave, young man, and uh, facing possible death because he wouldn't go along with the king's program as far as the food and that sort of thing goes, to being exalted, to being forgotten by the next king. And he came along and uh, Belshazzar didn't even, know, uh, uh, didn't, even, didn't even know he existed until it was time for God to do something. To seeing a kingdom overturned and him raising prominence under another king and then being raised to prominence under a fourth king and uh, then being lied about by professional liars known as the politicians of the day who literally set out to destroy him to being a death sentence to being used of God to uh, give the gospel to Darius just like he had done to, Belch uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. Wow! One life with that. Think, think about Paul reaching entire cities and then being beaten. <laughs> I, 
there's uh, instruction for abounding. Um, we need to know how to do both, and I'm going to give you some instruction for abounding because there's a lot of areas where we as American Christians, I should say as Christians in America, that would put the emphasis in the right order, wouldn't it? I'm afraid there are some believers who have it out of order. To them, Americans more important than Christian. That's a mistake. And, uh, and so we who are Christian Americans, the least of us, have more than most of the population of this world can dream of. I don't say that to shame anybody. I am not of the mindset or the persuasion that because other people have less means that I have no right to enjoy what I do have. I do not believe that. I believe that no one, regardless of how anyone else is, I believe that no one has a right to gloat over what they have or to waste what they have. You know? I remember my mom didn't, didn't do this stuff. I always appreciate the fact my mom was an intelligent woman. Didn't, I heard other people's moms say some things and I just thought, I'm glad I'm in my household. Um, I, I heard this said, and this was more popular. This was the saying when, when I was a kid way back in the dark ages. And it said, uh, finish your plate. There are children in China that are starving. Yeah. You do that? What was it there? Was it Africa for y'all? We were China. Anybody else had a different country that was starving? Kentucky, maybe? West Virginia? Yeah, roadkill. <laughs> they got roadkill. There you go. Processed. Amen. <laughs> um, Paddied. The feet's already paddied. Um, first time I heard somebody say that and they were serious? I kind of laughed because I thought it was a joke. They were serious. Well, maybe they meant well and said you ought to take time to be thankful for what you have. That'd be a good lesson, wouldn't it? If so, let's teach the lessons the right way. But I thought, how dumb is that? What I eat or don't eat doesn't affect anybody in China. And if I wanted to give it to them, I couldn't get it to them. So what's that got to do with anything? I'm sorry, it just it was dumb, you know? And uh, that, that's, that's the way it was. But what was this thing? It was, uh, it, it was the idea of we don't quite understand sometimes how much we have. And since that's true, my point of all this is since that's true, then it is important for us as Christian Americans to know how to abound. Because we start from a level of having that can be a snare to our soul if we don't handle it right. But it can be a blessing, not only to us and our families, but to the cause of Christ if we learn how to respond properly to it. And so with that in mind, I want to help you tonight on this thing of instructions for abounding. Uh, the, the apostle had uh, learned how to respond properly to both conditions. Wrote this statement down, learning how involves first receiving clear instruction and then implementing those instructions in real life circumstances. Um, how many of you work a job where you had to have some training, a little bit of extensive training, not just here's where you stand or something like that, but you had to have a little bit of training to do the job that you do? How many of you have that type of job? Okay. So learning how, uh, Ms. Teresa, you've been a nurse for 29 years. The situations you deal with every day that you're working are probably not what they put you into right when you came out of nursing school. Hopefully. <laughs> don't tell me if they did. I, really, that, no, I don't need that, that level of confidence shaking. And there were things you were able to do, the basics, when you came out of nursing school that you would not have just been able to walk in off the street and do. You wouldn't have known proper procedure. By the way, I think those who are in the medical field, especially nursing, I don't know whether you're electronics engineers, mechanics, or somebody who works mechanical nowadays, or works medicine nowadays. Isn't that the truth? I think, I think about a third of your job has to be learning the equipment that's always updating and that sort of stuff. And, uh, man, they used to be able to hurt you by giving you the wrong meds. Now they just hit the wrong button and you're all messed up. You know what I mean? So what happened is the, the training had to go on. Now what is learning? 
Learning is you had to receive instruction first. I assume there was classroom instruction. You're an RN, correct? Okay. So you had you had classroom instruction. But were there not things that you were instructed in, but you found out how it actually worked once you got out into it? And more as you got more experience? Learning involves not only instruction, but also receiving that instruction and then putting it into real life circumstances. Think about that for a minute. He said, I have learned. He said, I had to learn how to abound. I had to receive instruction. That's what we're going to do tonight. And then I had to put it into place. I'm going to give you clear Bible instruction on abounding tonight. It's going to be scriptural. It's going to be easy to follow. And then it's our duty because I've, I've got even more of a duty. I've been brought to this thought. I've studied this thought. And now I'm presenting this thought. So if anybody has a, <laughs> has a responsibility towards this truth, it's me. Because I'm now three times, you know, got a threefold responsibility towards it. But um, I'm going to give the biblical instruction. And then what will happen when it comes your time to abound, or if you are in that time, you can respond to that time properly. Listen to the statement. And you can allow what God intends for His glory and your good to be for His glory and your good and not have an opposite effect. It would be a shame if we as believers had something come into our life that our Heavenly Father wanted to be a blessing to us, a blessing to others, and to glorify His name. And because we did not handle it according to Bible instruction, it got turned around to be something else. Made our faith uh, weak. Caused our love for Christ to be cold. Caused us to be drawn away from him. Uh, Dr. Russell Anderson, now in heaven, he was here preaching one time and he and I were talking. He had asked me to come to his room. I'd take him back to the hotel and, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I got to tell you, this is kind of a funny story. He had a beautiful Jaguar. He liked Jaguar cars. And uh, he said, well, he could afford a Jaguar. Russell Anderson made $100 million in his lifetime. He could afford a Jaguar. And he, he, was, he, he had this beautiful Jaguar. He just really liked it. And he drove it down here to preach, and he got over to the hotel, and he called me early on Sunday morning. He said, uh, Brother Manny, he says, I got a problem. He says, something going on with the brakes on my car, I think. And he said, I'm afraid to move it the way it's acting. He says, somebody's going to come and look at it and all this. And he said, can you come get me? I said, sure. So my family and I, we went over early and picked him up at the hotel. And I'm driving him back across. We're coming across Pierce Avenue. And we're talking, and he's talking to Brother Anderson. Always talked with his eyes closed. I never rode with him. I wonder if he did that when he was driving. Anyway, he, uh, he, he was talking, and uh, we're going along. And he's, he was just being pleasant, you know. And uh, I said, that's a nice Jaguar you got. I, I hadn't seen it. Until I said, that's pretty. And he goes, yeah, it is. He goes, man, that thing will run. He said, that's a nice, you know, run car. And, uh, of course, Jaguars have always had electrical problems. Thank you, Leland uh, Products. But the, uh, he, uh, he said, yeah, and uh, we're driving. And I had one of my Luminas that I've had. I've had, you know, I've had, what, three of the same color and year of Lumina. And uh, I said, hey, where's Anderson? He said, yes, sir. I said, this here's a 1998 Lumina you're riding in. He opened one eye, looked at me, he goes, Okay. I said, but it will get you to church. <laughs> I had a little fun. He never did donate anything to the church. <laughs> I hope that my humor didn't cost the church something on that, but I think he took it. He, he was good natured. But he was telling me um, about a couple that he had helped the business, had taught him some Bible principles, helped him to understand some things. And he says, You know, Brother Manning, he says, they used to. He says, they were faithful on a bus route. He says, they were soul winners. He said, they were faithful in church and good family. He said, but they started making money and started flying things and made more money and more money. He says, next thing you know, they were just too busy for midweek. The next thing you know, they were too busy for this and that. He goes, they're out now, and he's uh, social drinking and, and running. And he said to me, you could tell his heart was heavy. This was after we'd gotten to know each other for a while. And he said, I wish I'd never taught them how to be successful. He said, if I knew they were going to take it, and it was going to ruin their walk with God. He said, I'd just rather them stayed poor. He said, they, he said, his words, he said they were richer when they were poor. Isn't that something? You don't have to be poor to be right. 
You don't have to be wealthy to be right. You have to love God to be right. And I want to help us to understand what God teaches on this tonight with it, all right? Um, let me give you some things with this. Uh, look in Psalm 62 and just some quick thoughts here on it. Psalm 62. I've looked forward to giving this truth tonight. It'll be very helpful to those who are receptive towards it. Psalm 62. And as I'm going to read down through this psalm, I want you to take special note of verse 10 as we go through that. And I'll make just a couple of comments on that when we come back. But let's look at the entire psalm. It says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From Him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall. Uh, shall you be in as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless uh, with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. This captured my heart. Pour out your heart before Him. That's for somebody here tonight. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. <laughs> to be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression. And become not vain in robbery. If riches increase... Set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Look at that verse 10. Trust not in oppression, become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, and they might, set not your heart upon them. We're, we're, we're getting instructions for abounding. Here's the instruction. Don't allow a love relationship to develop with things and with, with the abounding. God warned the children of Israel that when they went into the land of promise, great danger they faced and what they fell into, what they did, was that when they got there and they had fields that they had not planted and houses they had not built and God had cleared out that land for them and they went in and they could eat to the full that they would become rich and forget God. That's a danger. That's a danger. Um, don't let a love relationship develop between you and that which is your abounding. Something pleasant come your way, enjoy it. Thank God for it. Honor Him with it. But don't let a love relationship be there. Um, God, it's, 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 uh, it's so treacherous what it will do to your heart. I wrote down this statement with it. Don't allow this love relationship to develop between you and your riches, whatever they may be. Use them as a tool to help you treasure what is valuable. When God allows you to increase, allow your increase to become a tool that will help you value what is important, to treasure what is important, what is actually valuable. I hope you'll get the statement that uh, my pastor made while he was here. It was an amazing statement. He made it in the preaching and then made it in the men's meeting. He said, God will give through you what He will not give to you. And uh, he was very serious about that. In other words, when we start using what God commits to us to honor and, and glorify Him in our actions, then it becomes a tool for allowing a heart to treasure the Lord with it. Look in Proverbs chapter 11. 
None of these lengthy, but all of them vital for us. Say, well, I'm not abounding. Are you kidding me? Did you eat today? And if you didn't, was it because you chose not to? In that one area, you're way ahead of many of your brothers and sisters in Christ around this world. Not just far off remote people. Have you clothing where you can be clothed? Those are the two items which the Bible says are requirements for us to be content. Everything above that's bonus. I not only have eaten today, but my wife had cooked us a delicious dinner. I come in early on Wednesday. I come in early most days, and I and and then I go home and spend a little bit of time there. And my wife and I have dinner together, and then or supper, according to what part of the country you're from, and then we and then we come back into church. And uh, tell you what, I had a variety there, good food. A lot of people who love the Lord don't know anything about what that was like. Pretty home, nice place. Drove here in a car where you push a button and the temperature changes. Phew, on that thing I'm driving right now, that uh, that, that uh, loaner car they've given me, yeah, I'm careful about pushing buttons. There's enough in there. There's an eject button there somewhere, and I, I don't want don't to actually get a hold of that and send myself out the, out the sunroof. Proverbs chapter 11. Look in verse 28. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. It's a declarative statement. But the righteous shall flourish as a branch. That's interesting. Not flourish as a tree. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, but it says you flourish like a branch. It's interesting in that verse that that's chosen. Because a branch is dependent on the tree where the trust is. That's what it's talking about. The life, the vitality of the branch is not in the branch. It's in the tree. And um, he that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Where's your trust? What do you trust in? One lesson of abounding is don't let your trust shift over to what you possess. I believe in being wise and preparing. The Bible believes in it. The Bible teaches it. That's why I believe in it. There's uh, two words. Each begins with letter M. Both are very dangerous for our souls. One is called monasticism. That's an idea of a, that somehow we're more spiritual the less we own. <laughs> I'm very simplifying it with that, but that's the core of the issue. It's the idea of isolating oneself from any, any, any interaction with the world and uh, causing oneself to be impoverished thinking that somehow you're being spiritual by impoverishing yourself. That's the false and foolish doctrine. It's prideful. And poor pride is just as bad as rich pride. Then the other one that starts with an M is called materialism. Where your value is derived from what you own. You know, some people think that they're somehow have made it or somehow all of a sudden they're in they're better shape or a better person if they can drive a certain brand car or have a certain brand of clothing or you know, a certain type of purse or a certain type of furnishings or a certain tool or a certain whatever. I've got this emblem on my car, therefore I must be somebody. And the Bible will deal with it in more detail, but shame on us as believers if we derive our value from what we possess instead of who possesses us. If riches increase, he that trusteth in his riches, if it increase, don't set your heart on it. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. It's interesting. You know, one time Sam Walton, the one who started Walmart, not the guy with you know the kids and that, all that on that show, but Sam Walton, he, uh, he was the richest man in America. At one time. Remember that? He was worth like $18.1 billion. That's what they said. You get the numbers you can't count. I figure you're wealthy enough you're going to be okay for old age. You know? And had the stock market crash in the 80s. It does that, you know. <laughs> and uh, he lost like 
$5.6 billion. That was crazy. It was some kind of number like that. And they interviewed him about it. It was funny. Sam Walton, if you knew anything about him, and Walmart's not like it was when Sam was running it and did things. One thing, there wasn't booze in it. And sell booze at Walmart when, when he was there. But he used to take his coon dogs on his uh, company plane because he liked to hunt wherever he went. He liked to drove some of the some of the executives nuts that were around him because he had his coon dogs with him. And he'd go, you know. The Sam Walton, they asked him about it and said, man, how, you lost that much money. And he said, it's only paper. He said, that's pretty brave. I, I remember when that happened. I heard somebody say, and they may have been accurate. They said, well, that's easy to say when you've got another $10 billion left in reserve, you know. <laughs> It's a little different if you know you've worked your whole life and your entire retirement savings is gone, you know, and you're trying to figure out if you do have a good relationship with your kids or not, because that's where you're headed next. You know, it's a, uh, it's, it's. He said, "What's what's a 401k crash means? It means mom and dad are coming to visit." You know, um, <laughs> one 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 advantage of not having investments is you're kind of like an Amishman in an electrical storm. It just doesn't matter to you, you know. That's a lot, and. Uh, but, but the, thing of, the thing of it is, if we trust in our riches, however much they may or may not be, we're going to fall because it's not the right place to put our trust. Let me show you one other thing with it, if you will. Um, look in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, going over to the New Testament. I'm instructing us how to abound. When the riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Don't put your trust in them. You're going to find an adjective attached to riches in what we're going to read that will show you why they're not worthy of trusting. Be wise with them. There is oil and treasure in the house of the wise, but the foolish man spendeth it up. I'm not saying spend everything you have because the Lord may be here tomorrow, you know. When we built the building and when it was getting finished built over at Liberty Baptist, I still remember this because it came back around on me and I didn't have a part of it. I was there at the closing on that building. And there was a mortgage on that building. There isn't any more. That, that property is debt-free. 4.5 acres, two nice buildings, frontage on two roads. One's a state highway. And we were building and they got the mortgage. And I was there. I was there with Brother Jeff. Um... Kenny Moreland, who he mentioned, is now in heaven. Al King, who he didn't mention, who's now in heaven. And Terry Gadd, who's now in heaven. <laughs> and uh, they were there and they were signing the mortgage. You say, you weren't signing it? Nope, nobody wanted my signature on anything. And I still remember Terry Gadd, who was an interesting fellow, good Bible teacher, but an interesting fellow. They talked about the terms, how many years and that. And Terry thought, you know, he, he was of the firm opinion the Lord was going to be back in just a few years. I mean, just right now, which is fine. That's a good biblical way of thinking. We're, we're to expect this coming at any time and look forward to it. And I still remember him saying, as he signed his name, he goes, that's all right. We'll let the Antichrist pay it off. Everybody kind of laughed. Fast forward a few years. Things went weird over there. I am now pastoring that church and this one. And the mortgage comes under my purview to get the thing taken care of. And all of a sudden, I have responsibility of this other mortgage. And all I can hear is Terry Gadd saying, let the Antichrist pay it off. And I thought, Terry? <laughs> Probably not loud, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to slap you as soon as I see you. Amen? Um, actually, Brother Ed Decker, while he was there in the five years he was there, led the church and got that paid for. And did a good job with that. So anyway, it's kind of weird how things happen in life. Sometimes it's not safest to be the youngest one in the crowd. First Timothy 6, although I don't have that problem very much anymore. First Timothy 6, instructing you on how to abound and keeping you awake while I do it, if I hope. First Timothy 6, verse 1 says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke, in other words, they are in service and, and it may be even an indenture type thing where they where they have to serve for a certain number of years or whatever they have going but it, they are serving let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of god and his doctrine be not blasphemed they said how you act even in maybe less than ideal situation cast a a reflection upon your savior and they that have believing masters let them not despise them, 
because they are brethren, but rather do them service, going above and beyond. It ought to be the way we do. Um, you say, preacher, it's easy to say. You work at the church. I haven't always started my first. I worked my first full time position when I was fourteen. And I'm going to tell you something. Managing a roofing wholesale company off southeast side of Chicago with some less than scrupulous people at that time who were on it. Later they got right and got a bunch of things right in their life. was not always a cakewalk. Bedford Park UPS in uh, Chicago up off Cicero Avenue area where they're screaming, yelling at you and all the stuff going on was not exactly fun. Sutherland Lumber in Houston, Texas, when you're the youngest guy there by far, it was not always fun. Where to serve the Lord, I wish I had always done it right. I didn't always do it right. But every time I did do it right, it was honoring to the Lord and there were a lot of opportunities for witness came out of those. God knows where you are. He wants to use you where you are. But you've got to, you've got to portray Him in your actions. Verse uh, 2 again, And they that are have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. And this was being written to Timothy as a preacher, saying this is teach your people this. This is what you teach God's congregations. Exhort them. Put emphasis on it. Put energy on it. Say, hey, it's not okay not to do this. This isn't just optional. We're talking from the Word of God. That's, that's a command to the preacher. And I'm endeavoring to fulfill that tonight. Then it gives about the contrary things. You can leave out the service here, find wherever you want on YouTube or something to totally contradict everything you're being taught biblically because you don't have no thing about Bible and you sure don't have to be right in order to put stuff out on the air. And there's more confusion, more false teachers, more readily available than there's ever been in my 42 years of gospel ministry. And so, look what it says. If any man teach otherwise, something different than what you were just hearing from the Bible, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, all right doctrine promotes godliness. Doctrine that promotes fleshly action, worldliness, loose living, is not God's doctrine. It says, if any teach other, he, he says he, he, he's not, uh, uh, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, picking up verse 3 again, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, if he does that, he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about, giving undue attention to, questions and strifes of words, Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. You know what the word destitute means, don't you? It means you ain't got it. It's not there. And destitute of the truth. Look what it says. And... Uh, excuse me, supposing that gain is what? In verse 5. So if someone comes and says gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Which means you shouldn't watch their TV program or their YouTube channel or listen to their preaching. When they say gain is godliness, you need to shut it off. Because your Bible says withdraw from them. Because they're poisoned. It's not a different idea about things. They are a false teacher. Well, I'm tough enough to handle it. Well, you're smarter than the Bible is then. Because it told us to withdraw. You know what withdrawal means, don't you? I'm out of here. Enough of that. Brother, you send me your money. I will seek money. And whatever you send me, God will multiply. Oh, I will do this. We'll pray over your offering. You send to me. Hey, hey, send me that lettuce of your salvation. Amen. Don't make me holler. Don't make me shout. Turn those pockets inside out. And they start giving you the Ernest Ainsley. Hey, brothers and sisters. God wants to bestow blessing. Sister, here's the bed. I think God wants to. I got a word of knowledge right now. Amen. Whatever's in your pocketbook, don't carry it home with 
it. It'll be a curse to me. Leave it here. It'll be a blessing to me. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Diapers. <laughs> no, take it home with you. I, now they're out there. Sometimes they're, that flavor has faded out more. Now it's very slick and polished. Let us explain to you why uh, you know, compulsory tithing does not match the day of grace. And why we, we practice grace giving instead of the legalistic tithing system. While I'm at it, I'll also, in my nationwide broadcast, tell you why that you're either elect before the foundation of the world to be saved or lost. There's a lot of slop out there. And they're very slick. Just because it's got a pretty package doesn't mean it's a good present. Well, mark this thing down. Look at it. Contrast to that in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, by proper definition, someone is rich when they have everything they want. Wealth is within the grasp of the child of God by that definition. To be content. And if one isn't, then they'll never be content with whatever they acquire. A lot of Scripture deals with that. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, neither he that loveth abundance with increase. The eye is not filled with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. As the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. All these teachings in the Bible about it. When goods are increased, they are increased that eat them. What does that mean? That means you got a $5,000 raise and you're no better off than you were because you immediately went $5,000 more into indebtedness or whatever. You have a bit of the spirit of the man who said, I've got this great crop. My, the Bible says that the ground brought forth abundantly. And he said, what shall I do with all this? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build greater. And I will say to my soul, eat, drink, be merry, take thy ease. God said to that man, Thou fool, for this night thy soul is required of thee. You know what that old boy did? You know what put him over in that fool category? All that abundance God gave him, nowhere in that whole account did he ever think he might do something for somebody else with it. He never looked at it and said, What am I supposed to do with this? He just says, It must be for me. There is that gathereth, withholdeth too much, and attendeth to poverty. There is that scattereth. And increases. God, I have to give you wisdom in that, in your particular situation. Know how to live with it. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. That's some. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Sometimes people, out of a heart of affection and love, and it's a it's a catharsis for the person doing it. They'll put a little keepsake or remembrance or something in a casket of a loved one or something like that. And it's their way of expressing love towards that person and what they meant to them. But if the person who's doing that's a believer in the Bible, they know that person doesn't take that with them. They know that person's already, if they knew the Lord, they're already in presence of God. They <laughs> are no longer dazzled by the trinkets of this earth, for sure. Of course, there have been societies and there are aspects of our society who thought you know, they'd get people ready for their deaths so they'd take all this stuff with them to the other side. Of course, that's the theme of many of the things they've unearthed in different pyramids and such, isn't it? All this stuff so they'd take it with them. You know what they all have in common? They found all the stuff they were supposed to take with them, but they weren't there. Guess what? He left it all behind. You know how much of his wealth took and Haman left behind? All of it. The boy king. All left behind. Solid gold casket. Solid gold coffin, interior, exterior. When the explorer Carter found that, unbelievable wealth they found. Incredible. Some of the art, some of the, the, the detail and what went into doing that, incredible. You know what was inside his tomb? You know what was inside that 
Carsophagus, and you know what was inside that big golden, behind that golden mask? A very dead, dried up dude. <laughs> Do you know you die in faith in Christ, you trust Him? Do you know that you're going to a city that literally is paved with that they made his mask out of? If you can do well, do well. I'm not someone who says poverty equals spirituality. And I'm also not someone who says wealth equals spirituality. Loving God equals spirituality. Obedience to Him. Which is the way that true love is expressed. Jesus said that. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let me finish up here. You're looking far too interested. We're never going to get home. Look in verse 7 again. For we brought nothing into this world. Certainly can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. God simply does not want that for you. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. And that's the idea, suffocated with it. For the love of money, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now watch what happens with it. Which while some coveted after, covet's a strong word, they coveted after money, money was the object, they have erred from the faith. Their covetousness towards money drew them away from their faith. It is a spiritual issue. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. We're told the unnecessary ones. This whole world's got enough hurt in it. We don't need to be hurting ourselves beyond that. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow. And by the way, I have marked in my Bible the word flee and the two words and follow. I love that. Flee and follow. That's, 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 God's, that's God's way of making progress anywhere. Know what to flee, know what to follow. You get that right. Too many people follow after what they ought to flee and don't flee what they ought to flee. So you have to flee what you should flee and follow what you should follow. Did you follow it? All right. Um, then what happens is it says flee uh, these things, what I just talked about, and follow after. Here's what you follow. Righteousness. You're going to find out about Melchizedek in Sunday school who was first the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Then he says, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is that who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man can see, has seen, has seen rather, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. That's so good. The Bible even says, Amen. Then look at this instruction given to the preacher. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Thank you. Something because of what you have. Nor trust in... I told you there was an adjective attached to it. What type of riches? Uncertain riches. Oh, no, I know for sure. I know how the for sure's happen. It's always amusing young people coming into young adulthood. I'm not amusing as in laughing down at them. It's just seeing them learn how many sure things they come into. I'm going to do this. It's a sure thing. And we're going to do this. And it's a sure thing. And we've got it covered. It's a sure thing. We take that, tack that debt load as far as we can go because we've got a sure way of taking care of it. Six months later, Man, that was bad timing. We didn't know that was coming. <laughs> yeah. Don't trust in uncertain riches. How many of you know that Abraham was a very wealthy man? How many of you know David ended up being a very wealthy man? How many of you know that uh, the Bible used different wealthy men? It used them, didn't it? Right? 
But every one of them had this. They didn't trust in the riches and their heart and faith was in God and they used what God committed to them. Part of learning to abound is us receiving the ability to have God trust us with investment towards others. Let's finish out then. Verse 18, what else? It says, uh, uh, let's start 17 again. Charge them that are in this world. You're giving them an order to follow. That's uh, what's going on. It's to be taught declaratively. That they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Don't put your trust in your riches, put your trust in the God who gave you the ability to do some things. That they do good. Here's what you're supposed to do with it. That they do good. That they be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. God, what do you want me to do? Nothing wrong with you having something nice. Nothing wrong with you enjoying the fruit of your labor. That's biblical. But there's something wrong when you are the only thing you think of when it comes to it. It says, He give us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And then it goes on to Timothy to keep that which is committed to him. And uh, I'm telling you, there are instructions in abounding. So I'm not rich. It's according to how you're measuring the scale. <laughs> there are, Literally millions upon millions of people in this world would laugh at you over that statement. If they saw you right now, if they saw what's in your cupboards, if they saw where you can go home, if they saw what you drove to church in, if they saw where we're sitting in church and you said, well, we're not rich people, they would laugh at you. If you dared to say you were poor, they would shake their head in disbelief at you. We start from a mighty high base in this country. Let's use it in a respectful and reverent way for the Lord. Let's know how to abound. Let's learn how to abound. Let's let God teach us. Have a teachable spirit. If you're saying, preacher, I've never really thought about all this before. That's fine. That's where you start. That's why you come to church. You're getting instruction. Now take it and you have a curiosity and let God guide you in what you're supposed to do. I don't give account for what you have. I'm not, I'm, I don't, according to the Bible, I don't have dominion over your faith. I certainly don't have Lord over your possessions, Lordship over your possessions. I'm not a Lord over God's heritage, but I am an instructor from, uh, of the Bible. And here's what God's Word says. May God help us to learn to use what God's given us in the way that would please Him. Let's pray together, please. Tonight. Father, thank You for Your people, how attentive they've been. God, I hope our hearts have been attentive. Mine. And these I've spoken to. God, we want to learn. Help us be teachable. Help us not to be fearful, but to learn. Lord, I pray you'll bless your people with a heart of obedience, please. Amen. Stand together. Something you want to bring to the Lord tonight. Talk to Him about. This altar is open as it always is. Would you come?